whisper about, and children cross the street to avoid. Now, Wes Craven, creator of A Nightmare on Elm Street, takes you inside. Something's in here. We gotta get out of here, Leroy. All sorts of rumors about what goes on in that house. The police never took it serious. She's been feeding that thing between the walls again. Very, very tense about this. What goes on in this house is a sin. But what goes on under the stairs is a nightmare. Wes Craven's The People Under the Stairs. All right, you're watching Movie Night Extravaganza. I am here with my good friend and co host, J. Andrew World, the Undersecretary of Pussy. Damn um, straight. Appointed by Biden himself, I believe. Yes. <laughs> and of course, Cole James Cash Nicola from Blog Off already. Um yes, the we're doing a uh, our first Twitch stream, so this is a, a Twitch crossover. Um you know, <clears throat> after after being convinced at like three AM when I was fairly drunk the other night to join Twitch by you in a Yes <laughs> in a <laughs> in a random conversation and I was like I'm gonna do it. Yeah, and it's good that you had that conversation because I am no longer on Facebook. Yeah. Well, where we having? And I'm not Facebook coming back. <laughs> I am not coming back. When you know when someone leaves quietly, like I did, you know the the the, the reasons are. It, it was like manifesting for weeks, months. Actually, I was like, I, I don't think I want to be on it. I'm just gone. I'm not coming back. I mean, understandable. Yeah, yes. you needed it a while ago, right? You don't. You, it went a while ago, sorry. Oh, Facebook. Facebook. Oh, yeah, yeah. I deleted that in 2016. Oh, yeah, that's probably the right time to delete it. Yeah. I don't you should be like me and get on Getter. Um, yeah, um, it's gone. That's just gone now. It's about true social now. Huh? Oh, is that it? Yeah, true social. <laughs> that Getter, like, closed. I mean, oh, but the, 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 difference, the difference was that is that true social is that Trump's trying to take it public, like, super scam, you know? Super pump and dump fucking social media. Didn't uh didn't somebody like immediately hack his his uh yeah his account and like because they're using they're using Mastodon so you know <laughs> open you, you know when if you're gonna do open source you don't know what the fuck you're doing yeah I I don't didn't somebody post like pig guts too or something on his account like it was something crazy yeah um. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Somebody like somebody took like Mike Pence's name. Like you know, the trolls are gonna come full force. Yeah. Um, when Twitter first started, and I remember when it did, most of the, most people, including myself, had no idea how to read it. Honestly, like if you were on Twitter 10, 12 years ago, thirteen years ago, it read like shit. You know, and and it's a lot easier now. But you know. 15, 16 years ago, you didn't have these issues because no one gave a shit. Now, shit, motherfuckers look for any reason to destroy something and or make you look like an idiot. Yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember the the Hunter Moore period of like Twitter after dark or whatever? When um, it was like in, in 2013, 2014. No, let me like, cut. Let me cut you off. 
because I was in rap, like, and mostly doing rap shit and around other, like, hip-hop shit, like, a lot of what white people would do, I would never see. I wouldn't see anything politically, nothing. Like, with this Twitter... Is nothing, this is nothing to do with politics. This was, oh, I was just, oh, just going to say that, like, a lot of what shit what white people were doing on Twitter, I just didn't see. So I'm I, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, like like Black Twitter was real back then, man. Yes, yes, and it was very. They won't. They won't. They. The I. I wouldn't even see it. You're the undersecretary of pussy. You were. You were running. Uh. You were. You were running black. That's what's up there. That's what's up there. But yeah, Forrest, I'm sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. So Matt, uh, what was going on with After Dark? Web? No, there was this like weird period, and it was like I mean. I don't know. I, I only knew about it at the time. I wasn't on any kind of political Twitter. I was literally just on local, like local people I knew. Yeah. There was this account called like Hunter Moore that had like, it was some guy that had gotten indicted for uh, a revenge porn website and okay. he was waiting for his indictments to clear. And they eventually banned him from ever using social media again because he was like the revenge porn king of California. But for some reason, nobody had picked up on that. And he was just tell like, he would just have these challenges where he's like, listen, you can get clout if you... And it would be like either like you had to text your friend and like have some weird thing and and or or like just girls posting titties like like there was like the most base level like Twitter bullshit and it was like before like Twitter got felt political like it was all shit that people would absolutely get canceled for now and he was just some like guy sitting in a in a mansion in California that was like waiting for a revenge porn indictment and people were just like sending him all these pictures and every once in a while he'd be like. Okay, I'll retweet whatever, and I don't know. It was like the the ultimate clout chasing Twitter uh, second. <laughs> you know, the, the first the first time I saw sorry Andrew, the first time I saw anyone get in trouble over Twitter was in '09. Running back for the Chiefs, Larry Johnson had made some like stupid ass comments or said some whatever. He went on Twitter was like, "Shit ain't stopping my checks," and that's exactly what Kansas City fucking did. They find his ass, you know. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh shit," you know. So that was like the first time I saw um, Larry Johnson's like. Not just anti-vax, but that man's, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say Forrest doesn't remember Pumas. No. What was that? Pumas. Party nah. me my ass. Hey. The, the Hillary Clinton people who wouldn't vote for Obama. Mm. Nah, no, nah, I don't even remember that. <laughs> oh, I don't remember that, that too. <laughs> that, that was like, that, that was, it was, it's crazy, you know, looking back at this, because, you know, especially the way, like, like, they're all now like, like, God, if it wasn't for Bernie, I, I, like I was on some brothers, um, uh, bro brothers of uh, page today, uh, just because he was like, you know, like pro Hillary and just like tweeting anti Bernie stuff that was just insane. Like, like only black people know about racism, not not you know. And somebody's like, well, what about Native Americans? Um, it was like, no. <laughs> Wait, who said that? Oh, uh, I gotta look it up. It's just some. Um, I think he's like the black professor. Oh God. <laughs> And I was just like, I was just having so much fun, just getting screenshots and just like. Well, there was that them. there was that video that was getting shared a couple of days ago where it was like a, a professor at I don't remember if it, I think it was Rutgers or something that was saying um it was like oh like white people invented colonialism colonialism never happened to white people and slavery never happened to white people and they were like they were like it's the white devils or something and it was like a professor that's getting paid like a bunch of money and it's just like you know. It was like, of course, the fucking critical race theory, like anti-critical race theory people jumped on that instantly because it's it's like, you know, not even the basics of history, global history whatsoever. No, no. I mean, like, that, that's why I, I, I got to be honest with you guys. Like, at this point, I, um, I, I, 
because I'm on, Mia's on, we're on like for so long. After like I get done with everything, I, I don't look at anything. I just go to I just lay down and and um I we check stuff for like the content now, but it does change when you do it full time. I I I find myself like I'll go to sleep and not even want to log in because you can't you catch it from so many sides. Well, this I do, you know, um, and it just like I, I, at this point I have one social media and I have you know the show and the stuff that I do with my DJ stuff and I just keep it at that because um, there's there's so much to lose for me now and i used to not understand how michael could be so quiet like yo this happened but when you do it for a living you you don't want to be around it all the time you know yeah. like like me and nia talk about everything but this shit and unless it's important you know um but like it it it, it weighs on you i did a story today about the you know i continued a story about these black kids getting imprisoned and stuff like that and how they were in 2017, 2016, they were in a jail, a historical jail. These kids are between seven and 12, 13 years old. And at that historical jail, you could tour it. So, and it's all black kids. This is in 2017, 2018. And these stories just kind of get, it's just whatever. And so when you report on this and you realize that, yo, nothing comes of this, it weighs on you. Yeah, so no, you, don't, it, you don't you don't even want to read nothing anymore no, after it, you get it, done with that. It definitely does, and you know, I mean, for a lot of the pandemic, and so I mean, part of the reason why I'm not doing really that much like you know political stuff right now is because um, when the stuff happened in Gaza during the pandemic, um, I was working on on Ben's show, and okay. we ended up uh, talking to Nora Barris Friedman from um, Electronic Intifada, and I had to cover like for the whole week i was just watching the videos of everything happening in gaza and like at the end of the week that one video uh dropped of that girl being like just like being it was like a 10 year old girl it was palestinian that, that didn't yes yes i'm familiar yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah that was crying about it and didn't understand why her friends were dying and like i i broke down like i i cried for like four days straight after yeah. that week because i had to literally be watching like the the updates trying to get certain clips that i wanted to pull so we could like do this segment on on Gaza and Palestine and all this stuff and, and talk to her about it. And it just like crushed me for that. I feel you. So let's get to the movie for us. All right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So Wes Craven's people under the stairs. I have a clip to start us out with this. It's a, it's a couple minutes. Um, sure. Sure. Let's go. I got, I got you. It's from a, a New Jersey. It, it's, I feel kind of sad that this is where the clips that I had to pull came from, but it's from uh, New Jersey, either, I think, HorrorCon. Um, and it's the cast, like, the cast doing a Q&A, but they did it, like, first thing in the morning. So you can already see this. Like, it's not not that many people were there. And it's a good-ass movie, so I don't know why not, like, but this is uh, this did is the cast. at the time it came out? Like, like uh, people did not, like, like, the reviews weren't that good. And, and um, also racism, like, like, you know, here's Wes Craven doing this basically is from black like, movies. This is from like 2015 or 2000. I, I know. It's just like like it, it kind of got memory hold because it didn't yeah. get good reviews back then. It didn't have a it didn't have a following like some of these other films did. All right, so here's that's here's, all I'm saying. Here's, here's the clip. The what kind of social commentary Wes was making, and have you, like, have 
has that become something over time that has garnered appreciation, even more of an appreciation? I didn't realize it at the time. Neither did I. I. And, then, and then the more I, I watched it, and then I realized that he had a social message with it, and, and, and he added all the comedy. I mean, what I really liked about the movie, when I, the first time I ever saw it on the, on the, the screening, was how funny it was. I really yeah, it's really funny. I'm like, shit, this is a funny movie. So that just made it, you know, made it more exciting to be in it because they had the horror, they had a comedy, had that more of a the old, you know, the old like they did in the 80s, you know. Yeah, I, I thought it was groundbreaking that you have a lead black young kid in a, you know, driving a major, you know, motion picture family. Yeah. Urban hood. Yeah. Uh, nobody was doing that. Mm -mm. Wes definitely took some uh, risks doing that. And uh it paid off but i mean it's relevant today yeah so uh i'm just really you know you know now, now that you think about it now i mean 2017 but uh that was groundbreaking at the time well do you guys know about the movie get out right yeah uh and is it it's key right it's, no peel right jordan peel so in vanity fair he said the two movies that i watched were Rosemary's Baby and People Under the Stairs. Really? He said those were his main influences for that movie, which is amazing. I, I, got, I, I got that kind of feeling from the movie when I saw yes. it. Yes. And and as to your question, no, I didn't realize it back then at all. But as I got older, I started to see it, you know, and uh, it had a real strong social economic undertone yeah. to it, you know, the slum lords who were, you know, just the whole thing with the healthcare with my mother and yes. yeah. And yeah, I was yeah. doing it for a reason and the gold and the, you yeah, know, yeah, it was yeah. pretty Girl deep. Home and stuff, pretty deep you know, cheap coffins, expensive prices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think it definitely I mean I never knew why people liked Roach. I was kind of like, ah, because he's goofy and he running around the walls. But then somebody was this woman was like, well, he's a hero and a martyr. Yeah. And I was like, what do you mean? I go, well, I, when I thought she was like, don't you understand that he could have left at any time, but he never did. He right. stuck around to make sure Alice was okay. And to just fuck with those people uh, and make them miserable. And then he helped fool, you yeah, know, cause he knew. I think Wes's vision, it was really. It's really cool. Like it's, yeah, it was, it was very groundbreaking for, for that kind of time and he took flack for it too though he Did took he? some shit for it yeah because people were like uh a white guy writing and you know this i mean stuff. In, in those days too though like, like wes everything he wrote he dreamed first i don't know mm -hmm. if you guys are aware, aware of that i don't know but then he said to me later on when scream and all that happened that wasn't everything yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so this story actually i don't know if any too many people know this, that the, the blueprint was based on a family in Santa Monica, a sister and a brother who kidnapped kids. Then all the other story with the social message and all that, I don't think that was, you know, real. Yeah. That was his fiction. But he read a newspaper article in the 70s mm -hmm. about the, the, the sister and brother in Santa Monica slumlords that kidnapped, tried to get the perfect kid, and they they were, they, they lived like a married couple, but they were sister and brother. And he read this article in the 70s and he said he always wanted to write a script about it, but he couldn't get it right, you know, like he didn't know how to do it. You know, one night 
you know, in the late 80s or early 90s, he just had this dream and like, shit, I just got it. He woke up and he just woke his foot. Yeah. Okay, so one thing I do want to know is how they say, uh, why am I echoing? Oh, yeah, no, I know. Why am I still echoing? Uh, All right, am I echoing to you guys? I'm not hearing it. I hear an echo on my side, and I tried muting it because the other day it was my all right. What'd you Where'd say, you Nia? You, you're echoing for me, yeah. All right. Let me, uh... Um, um, but yeah, so, yeah I, I, I... No, I'm echoing. I'm echoing. I, um, I, I found, found it. Found I found, found it definitely interesting. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where the echo is from. <laughs> You guys hear me? Yeah, yeah. now I'm echoing. So I want to something very important um, is that we know how they said, oh, we, we didn't know we were making that, right? And I keep emphasizing to, to individuals that you don't have to you don't have to know anything to do the right thing. You don't. There is no point ever that I've ever walked around canvassing things like that where I pulled up anything theoretical than that, not because that thing's not important or significant, but because doing the right thing shouldn't even come down to all these explanations. Wes Craven had set out to send a message about how he felt and how he felt just happened to be the right thing. Um, and when he was talking about, you know, a black person, you know, writing a black person, yeah, that's not easy, but you can do it. You can do it if you do it in a way that sets the same examples that white actors set. When I watch, um, let's say I watch a, uh, The Best Man with, with Tay Diggs, that's not a black movie to me. It's just a movie, really good. Um, if, if, you know, having a, like, I'll give an example. Todd McFarlane had said, Andrew, you might remember this. We casted Terry Fitzgerald as white because we didn't want to be doing a black movie. And I got what he was saying with that. But it shouldn't even have to come down with that because most of Spawn's fans were white. Yeah. You know? So, so what, you, what it comes down to is if you being talented, like Wes Craven, having the right vision, but having the heart to write the right thing. And, and you know, like I said, we can examine it from certain political perspectives, things like that. And, and I get that. And that's that's significant. But as I watched it as a kid, you know, it's just simply people are being wronged and mistreated for reasons that are not justifiable. However, within the American lexicon, it's like I was telling Nia, like, imagine a country Literally from here to back home in Brazil, a country based on sexual assault. And we care about sexual assault? No. You know? So it's like it's like you, you can't look to settle set, – I don't look to settler logic as to why I should do the right thing or why this and that and the other. Like I, I really just move, move past that. And for me, that's the most significant. No, we didn't know because it was just the right fucking thing to do. All right, good. Yeah, and it's also just a damn good movie. Yes. Like, like, you know, uh, the, that's the important thing. It's like, like, you know, you watch all these Christian films or whatever, like they, they try to have a message and they're horrible. They're, they're terrible. Um, they're not even good movies, you know? So, you so you never get a better message than the Bible itself. Well, hold on. I'm going to cut you guys off. The stairs. Have you guys noticed the distinction between Tyler Perry, Christian movies and, um, God's not dead. 
Well, no. black black Christian movies, you know, black Christian or you know, have it's always about uplifting. I'm gonna do better for myself, my family. You know, we we're trying to do the right thing. There, there's not really much commentary politically, more like black commentary, like man, you know, brothers need to do more. I don't think Tyler Perry shit's good, but when black creators invoke Christianity, it, it's it's a they're trying to uplift. Seriously, it's always message of uplifting. When you look at the way Christianity is for white people. It's persecution all fucking day. I'm the victim. I'm the victim. Like, I've seen these movies, so I know. Now, you look at Christian horror, like The Conjuring, it's well done. But at the end of the day, it's Christian horror, i.e., you must believe if you want to live. The whole rules change for The Conjuring because it's Christian horror. It's not a matter of sex or whatever. It's a matter of do you believe, you know? Now, I don't agree with necessarily that concept, but it's well made, so it's not looked at as a Christian movie. When I when you mention Christian movies, the only thing we think of is the shitty evangelical shit. But um, Christianity is very pervasive in our culture and in our film. And I, I laugh when people don't like you know people laughing when I say, "Nah, country's a Christian horror film." Then they go watch it, and be like, "Y'all." So yeah, there are there are fundamentalist black Christian horror uh, not horror films but just movies. And I'm yes. trying to remember uh, uh, the one with that rapper, and I'm I'm completely ex it's escaping me right now. Uh, but he's uh, Ja Rule. I think it's Ja Rule. I don't think that was a black movie though. That wasn't okay. a black production. Um, as I'm, I'm telling you, I, you, I, you are going to be hard pressed to find a black creator who okay. is go, it was who would do something uh, like that without white backing. I never looked up who who did it, so so I'll be honest. With don't you worry, I'm, I'm gonna look right now. And Nia, will you please give your damn thoughts? Stop sitting there looking pretty. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed the movie. I, I thought the social commentary is very interesting. Uh, it's a very funny movie. Um, yes. And yeah, in terms of like, I guess the the horror, I don't have, I don't have a, a lot of commentary to offer because I don't watch a lot of horror movies, so I don't have a lot of context on the different kinds of horror. Um, but yeah, it, it was a very interesting movie. I always think Wes Craven stuff is usually a good way, easy like uh, way to like entry point for people for horror, because because he does a lot more than than uh, what a lot of people do, and they're they're enjoyable. Like this is I mean was it violent? Yeah, but not like you know, uh, what we imagine horror could be. Yeah, I mean I I think that I think that it's definitely telling that uh, when we did Nightmare on Elm Street a couple weeks ago and we had uh, Ravana on who doesn't watch horror movies at all, like you know she was able to engage with. Uh, you know, Wes Craven's, you know, that whole, that whole, because a lot of times, I mean, it's funny, it's uh, like smart, you know, like he's, he's an ex-professor, I'm pretty sure, that's like his whole, <laughs> his whole thing. So professor I, what? Um, I don't, I, I can't remember, I just know that he was like an academic for a long, I think history or English, I can't remember which one, but he was like a, both a college and a high school professor before he decided to become a, a director. And he was like given a chance with um, Last House on the Left uh, to to like direct like, and that's like, you know, that's, yeah, that, a, that's a movie. That's a movie I have no plans on watching. That's a movie we might be by Alma Mater with Johns Hopkins. That's what's up. But um, but yeah, so yeah, it's one of the tougher ones because that was still more exploitation and yes. uh, um. Uh, Craven hasn't quite found his his voice yet as as a uh, 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 you know as a filmmaker. So well, it's him and Sean Cunningham. Not one I'd recommend. Who's a much more um, 
visceral and kind of grotesque uh, killing for the sake of killing director, whereas I think Wes Craven is a lot more intellectual about um, looking at these things. But like, I mean, Nightmare on Elm Street is a good example of, of a movie that I think that you can watch as a, someone that's not really into horror movies and doesn't really like that genre. But like, you know, we, we've been watching through like we've done Slasher October. So we've kind of, you know, pushed all these movies into different genres of or sub sub genres, I guess. And the Nightmare on Elm Street one is kind of the like instead of being um, kind of like a, a redemptive or a punishing style of uh, horror, like it, it's much more it's much more scary that it's if you fall asleep, you die, I think, or much more affecting, I guess, because, you know, it's not like you sin or you transgress and you get punished for that. You literally can't help but go to sleep at some point. And like, you know, like, I mean, there was definitely there was sex in it, but like sex wasn't the thing that anybody was getting punished for. It wasn't like they were sinning, which is what Cole was talking about with like, you know, white Christian movies. I think and I think a lot of these slasher movies kind of have taken that that stand as almost like as almost white Christian movies, like people do something that they get punished for, you know what I mean? And then they get killed. And that's kind of like the, the formula that they've come up with, whether that's having sex, doing drugs, like there's a whole bunch of different options, but like they're getting punished for something by the slasher. And then, you know, the final girl slash the virgin slash, you know, whatever uh, trope you want to add to that at the end where the person either lives or dies. I mean, as I said, in cabin in the woods, like it doesn't really matter, but the person at the end is the one that's like transgressed the least, I think. And in uh, in Nightmare on Elm Street, you don't really get that impression. And in this, I mean, it really has nothing to do with the literal transgressions are like you spoke evil, you heard evil, which is just like, but like the people that are punishing you are the ones that are evil. So that's a completely different dynamic. And they're based on Nancy Reagan and Ronald Reagan. Yeah. <laughs> which is which is the best thing about this movie is that, that the villains are the Reagans. <laughs> Uh, in terms of Nightmare on Elm Street, actually, it's been a while since I watched that one, but someone was talking to me about it recently and, like, having a sort of queer interpretation of the nature of Freddy Krueger. This is part uh, two, mostly. I was, just, I was about to say, part two, part two is obvious. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. even just, well, like... Part, you know, the thing that was interesting about the, the first two, if you just look at those in a complete vacuum, Freddy Krueger's innocent. Uh, it's the gym coach. He kills at the beginning of two. That's the real murderer. And the parents killed I, him. I am not equipped to discuss that. Andrew, you can't hit me with that. And I'm like, wait, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. But go ahead and finish, though. <laughs> no, no, but, but yeah, you have to watch the, 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 the first two in a vacuum. You, you know, you can't talk about the third one or any of the, you know, any of the sequels. New, none of that. None of that. You know, just put that away. Um because like it's all the parents saying that that that's what he did. Um, yeah, Freddy's gonna revenge on who? The parents? It's, it's the vigilante aspect of it, right? Like the parents are being punished for taking the law into their own hands and being kind of vigilantes and being reactionary in that sense. I mean, like, and, and that's so, what ghost stories too tell you about, like, like the uh, you know Candyman too. Like, like what are they? What are these these ghost stories telling us? They're getting revenge for being wrongfully killed. Um, why would, if Freddy Krueger was evil, get a chance to have revenge if he was wrongfully killed? I don't respect Candyman at all. <laughs> why not? Because, like, like, like Dude said, like, like bees in all, all, the, all the places you could be, you're in the projects, fucking killing black women and fucking thirsting over the one white woman who ain't even that high. You know, like, like he's just in the projects, just, just killing black folks like it's nothing, you know? All the fine sisters in that movie, he, they got to go. But 
the one white woman, you know, like he's like uplifting. No, we can tell no. by a white guy, right? Huh? <laughs> you can tell it's written by a white guy. No, well, the thing is, is Candyman's good. I'm just being a hater, but yeah, <laughs> it's, it's very no, different no, from it, from the from is. the book. The book is um, not even in the same country. You well, know, yeah. I haven't seen the new one though. No, you know? I hear the new one has problems, but no, I got no, no, I, I got to call. You know, I'm supposed to, I was supposed to be on Champagne Sharks last weekend, and I'm gonna just call Ricky Rawls and be like, "Look, Rick, you put spoilers on the main timeline, okay, of Candyman the weekend it came out, and I'm just not happy with that, you know." So I got beef with Ricky Rawls from Champagne Sharks, um, but with that said, um, when it comes we're going we're coming back to people under stairs is, like I said, it's it's. A matter of you know when you're walking around in the hood there's always that one house that some old white folks live in you know and you know you have you wonder you have questions that's why i wasn't shocked when they said we didn't have any you know idea but also you got to think about george romero's with the same thing he didn't set out to make social commentary but yeah. the world with the world that we live in you know world that we live in these are things that happen you don't have to match an allegory and then you know do something like a serbian film you know you don't yeah. have to do all that and force it down your throat Queer, uh, Nia, don't ever watch that shit. It's not worth it anyway. Um, but nonetheless, like, like I said, all you have to do is write about America, and you got a horror movie. There's nothing well, else to even go on. I think, I think with Wes Craven in particular, you know, the idea of these transgressions are really explored, right? Like, I mean, whether it's it's you know Nightmare on Elm Street, which the the transgression I think comes down to the um, the vigilante parents that just decide, you know what, like since the law isn't going to do this for us, let's just take it into our own hands, which makes sense in, in context of like the eighties and like the incredible reactionary right-wing turn of, you know, American society and, you know, the persecution of, of, of gays, the persecution of like Reagan, not giving a fuck about the AIDS, uh, you know, the AIDS crisis. Hold on, can I, can I, can I cut you off real quick? Yeah. When you said the right-wing reactionary turn. Okay. Um, I, I talk extensively about the, about disco, and the reactionary reaction to that. There has never been a time America wasn't like that. They literally murdered disco because too many black people and Latinos were having fun. So, so, so um, one thing I, when I, when I examine things about America being reactionary, it's always been like that. I e remember Nia, can you make jokes about blacks and Italians anymore? You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a repetitive cycle that is in, in a few years, it's going to end in GOP totalitarianism, which they're absolutely, you know, honestly, I think that's what's going to happen. Um, I don't see, actually, I don't even see any other future for America other than the GOP is running a Christian nationalist nation and it's going to destroy itself. And that's why I left. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, I don't know, it's going to be Christian Israel pretty much. Like, like that's kind of where we're, where we're heading towards. I, yeah, Biden I, um, and Harris are certainly helping along with that with the border. But I, I yep. think that, I think that you have to make some kind of distinction in terms of, you know, counterculture existing in the 60s, not as a mainstream force, but, you know, as as a, a culturally significant enough force that, um, you know, I mean, kids protesting the Vietnam War, like the civil rights movement, all of that kind of manifesting in the 70s and 80s in a very strong reactionary right wing turn. And I'm not saying that it's not something that's happened over and over again. It obviously is every time, you know, civil rights have been advanced or any time any, any marginalized group of people have, you know, um, gained ground in America. There always is a reactionary turn that yes. you know, tries to rip that down. But I mean, in our, in our 
obviously not like lifetime well at least not in my case because i was born in mm-hmm. 1994 but like in our in our um you know it, what what pascal kind of calls like the 50-year counter-revolution like you know from from nixon onwards like the the incredibly conservative um right-wing reactionary response to you know both the left and kind of a liberal insurgent liberal uh like it sucks that it's the boomers that really <laughs> were the ones that pushed that forward but like this 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 momentary um leftist libertarian alliance i'd say civil libertarian that uh ended up with with nixon coming and kind of becoming like a like a totalitarian like our, our first like authoritarian conservative president really like in that sense mm-hmm. i mean like i, I disagree i disagree modern, with that modern, so in, deeply and this is one of the few times modern, where my dad yeah. being a professor actually helps but at the same time you're not wrong forrest you're not exactly wrong only only the only thing you're missing is some historical context but bro i sit with q every night and i don't know shit so don't feel bad bro and i'm and i'm not trying to like disrespect you. it's not that it's just like for me like having lived so much life as a black man like my whole life been fucked up for so long. And yeah, I, I talked a bit today about the kids who were getting arrested. Um, and they were coming up with false charges for these school kids. Then I remembered, wait a minute. I got picked up by tabs three times, um, which would be, uh, it was a student, student burglary suppression unit. If you weren't in school, you're either going to jail or you're, you're going, you know, in a holding unit. Like that was my life. And that was the early nineties. In the yeah. mid nineties, well, that that was early, happening. So the early nineties and the mid nineties was the continuation of that reactionary moment. Like you know, the crime bill got passed. Like mm-hmm. everybody was obsessed with the idea that you know there was crime on the streets. The murder rate was up. Biden, of course, leading the charge on a lot of that, and and now being um you know trying to run as uh, you know criminal justice guy, but <laughs> and then going immediately back to we need to give police more funding, which was his, his refrain call for the eighties and the nineties and the early two thousands. Like we've been in that in that reactionary cycle, I think since I mean, really since probably seventies too. You know, we're just too old. To, you know, I, I, yeah, I would say the moment. first reactionary would definitely be um, Falwell on them, uh, or either Falwell or Graham trying to um, with abortion and the switches that they made to try to basically they changed the game again. You couldn't say the N word and segregation, so you got to go with abortion. All these other things like there's oh, it's always reaction. There's not Blessing. been a time in this country yeah. that I can think of where. Yeah, White people no. did not react. I mean, like, go go old. back to uh, 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 what's his name, John Adams, like our second president. <laughs> yes, like, that motherfucker was a reactionary too. Yeah, yeah. and like but I said, I mean, for, for us, yeah, for us, you you ain't you ain't wrong. It's not that. I just I just in my opinion, I just feel it's always been that. Way. Yeah. Well, the other thing too is like like Nixon is the first like proto neoliberal. So 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 like yeah. he's a little different. I would than, say uh, yeah, I, I would say that you know, yeah. So so, yeah, so like yeah. you know yeah, starting stuff at Nixon is it makes perfect sense. It's just. I don't think, you know, uh, Forrest is quite getting the, the language right. Well, well, and also, too, you have to remember about Nixon is that he had, um, what's his name, George Romney, who was pretty damn good. George Romney was good, and then he was going to war with fucking Pat Buchanan and the rest of those assholes. Imagine having people like that pulling you both ways. And now his son you know? has a mustache and is giving cookies to uh, yeah. Cinema. Yeah. Well, I'm, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, well I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm reading the, um, the Robert Caro LBJ books right Mm -hmm. right now like those biographies and um in in the second one because there's there's passage of power which is the one about um when jfk was killed and then i'm reading means of ascent right now and the one in between that i'm like blanking on the name right now but um 
I've kind of read them all in like a backwards order for some weird reason. But there's a moment in Master of the Senate, that's the name of the book, um, where Nixon is on the side of civil rights. Not for a good reason, but in 1957, Nixon is on the side of civil rights and LBJ is on the side of moderation and segregation. And there's a brief moment where the 1957 um, civil rights bill gets passed, which is the first civil rights bill that got passed, um, you know, uh, since, since uh, you know, the end of the Civil War, pretty much. You know what I mean? Like, since Reconstruction. Like the 1870s, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So the first civil rights bill gets passed since then. And Nixon is looking at the black vote because Eisenhower was, you know, um, both times he got elected was kind of increasing uh, the, the black vote, you know, on, on his side. And because, you know, the, the Democratic Party was the party of both, I mean, FDR, but also segregationists. And <laughs> so there's a moment where, where LBJ is standing against, and this is only a decade later, LBJ is like the civil rights president. Like, so. And he was only doing it at, because uh, that's what um, uh, Kennedy wanted to do for the most part. Yeah, like, but like, he LBJ wouldn't have taken that on himself if it wasn't, uh, if Kennedy didn't start it. And he's just like, well, this can get done. I can do it in his name, and I'll be remembered for it. Like it was, yeah. it was not for good reason. It's the, it's the, I'll be remembered for it. But, but I mean, yeah. also, it's, it's Nixon thinking that Nixon pushing for a, a full civil rights bill at the time was also, I'll get elected based on this. Anyway, but, we have, we have ten minutes. Hold on, I just want to ask Nia a question. I just want to tell Nia something. Like, you know, when I was, when I was young and I watched this movie, I had the biggest crush on the white girl. You know, and <laughs> and there, there was nothing to me that was abnormal per se about this black kid because. You know, I'm from the Bay Area. It's just whatever. Um, I didn't realize that that was a big deal because obviously my worldview was was different. But I remember feeling like there was a genuine, you know, genuine chemistry between the two. Did you see that? Yeah, I think that's yeah, it's intended to be implied. Like, it. He definitely. I mean, he, in the second act of the movie, he like decides to go back uh, into the house to save her. So yes, yeah. I wouldn't have done that. I would have called the police. Be like, hey, charge to the game, bro. You know, charge the hey, damn, I'm good. I was like, damn it, forgot my hat. Well, the police, I mean, the police come and you know, the they're just able to like you know push them away because the yes. house is such a nice house inside when they don't see the fucking padlocks when they don't see the mm -hmm. bars in the door when they just see like the nice rooms with the furniture in it that they got from fucking dead people and taking over people's houses. Like, you know, it, it seems like that's kind of the moment that's most re re uh, reminiscent of like Reagan, like he's wearing the, the hunting hat and. They seem yes. to be like a normal, a normal married couple, and then you find out, like, I don't remember. It's right before or right after that. Literally, they're just brother and sister, and they're like the weirdest incestuous. Uh, like, you know, I mean, you already know that they're fucking weird and reactionary, but like finding that out is like, oh fuck, this is like, <laughs> this is like some Alabama fucking shit. Well, actually, you know, it's it's it, to be honest, it's not anything but American. Yeah, it's not anything but but settler. It's like that here in Canada, you know. Oh, um, I, mean, I know. If, not... if I keep if I keep saying that, it's because being up here, I'm so fucking far removed from all that shit. And when you're talking and discussing things with people who have hundreds of years pre American culture, you start looking at shit like, you mean nobody has a gender up here? All the, all the natives just whatever about it. You mean that none of that shit ever mattered? You know. And when I look at when settlers got there. The standard became incest, child rape, all that. That, that. That's 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 that. Natives are the primitives. Africans are the primitives. But this is advanced society. Well, Texas is Texas banning eight hundred fifty books in the abortion law. I'd say that America is functioning exactly the way it was meant to be founded. Well, look at every single European royal family, right? Like every single European 
king, queen, whatever you want to call it, is the product of incest to the point where there were some, like, I think Philip II in Spain that was just so, like, you know, so, like, his genetics were so degraded by, like, just, you know, centuries of, of really close incest that, yeah. it, 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 you know, he wasn't even able to function as, like, a normal, you know, a normal person whatsoever. Like, it, you know, it, it is, I mean, it's, it is a settler thing and it is a, a colonial thing, but it's also, like, we, we don't look at, like, we don't look at royal families and say necessarily, like, oh, this is, like, this is the product of generations of incest. This is, like, cousins cousins marrying cousins, like, uncles marrying, uh, like, uncles marrying niece. Like, like just every single, like, uh, family connection you could possibly think of. People are related in, like, four different ways. <laughs> well, I would, say, I would say when it comes to that, that, you know, things evolve. But Rooney Mara is proof that all that shit is still there. It's just done in a different way. Yeah, well, the name so, fucking Rooney Mara, who an actress I love, she is proof. She is proof that shit is only it. Like I said, you know, Michael Lexi say racism is like a BMW. They got a new one every year. I'm not saying the Rooney family. It's not that. It's power is going to stay with power. Period. Power is going to stay with power. And and you know, at the end of the day, power that's what public. it is. Even if yeah. that power is siblings. And, and that's why Teddy Roosevelt said to Franklin Roosevelt at his wedding um, that that was a great way to keep the Roosevelt name in the family whenever he married his cousin, Eleanor. Have you heard of the Habsburg job, actually? Yeah. 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 The, 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 in the early, like, pre-World uh, War One. Austrian like empire thing. right yeah and yeah like it's very much a thing that all these royals like they have clear deformities from all that inbreeding um going back to like what we were saying earlier I, the way he tells the story is just so great like with the the way they're able to divert the police with the image of their like that they are able to reject because of their wealth and yes. that being tied specifically to how they're like draining people out of this community, draining money out of this community, and draining people, <laughs> and also just like eating them. Yes. Like. Yeah, and feeding literally them, consuming feeding them. them other feeding them to other people, feeding them to dogs, feeding them to the people in the actual like the people under the stairs. Like, I don't know. It, it's 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 fucked up. But but all, like also, it's I think the you know the racial component of the neighborhood. I mean, it's mm -hmm. the poverty. It's where poverty and it, it becomes intersectional because you know the, the cops can come over and over again and say, "I know your kids are missing." The same way that with indigenous people, you know, there's like such a high rate of missing indigenous people, and yes. law enforcement does nothing about it. It's because they come into communities, and you know, it might be the the richest person. I mean, that's where the horror element comes in. Like the richest person is the one disappearing everyone, but like. You know, it, it is it is the case that when poor people, whether they're, I mean, whether it's racialized or not, report uh, missing people, report murders, they just assume, you know, they're a victim of the neighborhood. There's nothing we can really do about it. Like, it's not going to be the person in the really nice, the one person in the really nice house with, like, the wealthy furniture and the clothes. It's going to have to be, you know, they're just a victim of the neighborhood. It was probably a, a, a robbery. It was probably this. It was probably that. Well, let me just share this before we go. Um, Nia, do you have something? I'm sorry. I was just gonna say, uh, I, I really liked how it also just like reverses who the villain is in the sense of uh, the thievery, I guess, the theory plot, because they go in there to steal from them. But then they find out that these people have been stealing from everyone. And it's, you know, they go from being 
the bad guys in a way. You're just sympathetic to them, but you know, people are stealing, stealing like especially in this era, there was a lot of paranoia over that kind of thing. I mean, coming out of yeah. the seventies, uh, and then you know, they go into this nice these nice people's house and find all that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then and hold on, but I was just say this. All you have to do is look at Ed, Ed Buck. That's the people under the stairs right there. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like that, like like yeah. like I, I I'm I'm t- I'm telling you guys, like especially coming to Canada, I see America and, and and this place it's just fucking evil. It's just it's just evil when you and then take a look at Jeffrey Dahmer when this this Jeffrey Dahmer's walking with a twelve year old um, Laotian kid naked in the street. Two black women run to the cops and say, "Do you see what's going on here?" Jeffrey Dahmer said, oh, "That's just my boyfriend. He tripping. That's that." I, I'm telling you, this is the way it's always been, and it's the way it's gonna. It's just, it's just the way it is. And so, the, 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 for me, looking at, it, I'm just like, yeah. Like when I, even as a kid, when I watched this, like, yeah, you know, this is this is what it is. You know, I felt, you know, obviously from a horror standpoint with the type of death, but it's like, yo, like cops came and do nothing. Like that's that's just it was just normal to when we were watching it as kids. It's like, yeah, you know. So imagine my experience. That's my experience, right? Drastically different than your guys's. Well, Nia's, Nia's, Nia's little, you know, she definitely, she been through some shit. But I'm saying even as a kid, that was just a normal thing, you know? So when I read about Ed Buck, when I read about Jeffrey Dahmer, I'm like, yeah, and that's just what it is. What do you, before you, before you, before you both... Yeah, before before you both, I just I just wanted to um, ask everybody what they thought about. I mean, the ending of the movie, kind of the entire community comes together and realizes that all these things are connected and realizes it's the landlord's fault. And it seems to be, um, like a, I'd say, a leftist kind of message at the end. You know, like the only way to kind of overthrow these people um, in this case is that everyone kind of needs to come together and everyone needs to realize that all these things are connected. And and the people that are exploiting them, the only way to really destroy them is you know to have the entire neighborhood kind of storm the house and i mean i know that that's not what kills the the the, the two villains in the end but like it does seem to be a message about togetherness a message about the people under the stairs being liberated from under the stairs and being able to rip the the mother apart and like you know what i mean like so all of that seems to be kind of a, a message about how when um exploited people when you know poor people when people that have been through all of this come together and make those moves you know in a liberated sense um that they can kind of overthrow the shackles yeah and i agree 100 <laughs> percent. i think that's very much the, the intention there i would say i would say this not even from a leftist perspective because in the hood i don't know any leftists it's just a matter of the community has to take care of itself you can only have a leftist movement if you're under fascism so if you're coming from societies where I'll quote Hillary Clinton's stupid ass when she quoted that book, it takes a village to raise a child, right? So at what, you know, if the, the America, which is, you know, founded on rugged individual, individualism over society, like I said, you have a left movement when the fascism is that bad. But generally speaking, in the hood, you, we have to take care of each other. If somebody's molesting or committing rape or whatever, the hood, might, we're likely going to take care of that. Because the hood always takes care of itself one way or another for, for better or worse. Again, these things are just, that's just normalcy to me, you know? 
Like it I was mean, just like, yeah, yeah, that. you know. I don't agree that you can only have a leftist movement. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. There was there was a long history of feudalism, which you know, I mean, kind I'm of sorry because I'm I'm up I'm up here. I should have made it made it distinct. In the First Nation societies that I know about, okay, that I've been around, everyone was just taking care of each other, and it was always like that. So I I should have I should have clarified my point better, and I, I I phrased that wrong. Russia isn't necessarily a. I mean, Russia isn't like a. a a settler society in that sense necessarily that i mean there's a long history of, of being between you know europe and asia that russia has been through and feudalism and and the czars and you know what i mean like no you're you're correct let me let me rephrase this in the in the united states in the americas that's what it's been since they got here so i re reframing it like that you know um don't get me wrong there's revolutions things like that it's it's the framing just simply is always coming together and coming together is just a human thing to me it's just the right thing, you know? And I'm only using this framing just to bring a different perspective, not because you got any of you guys wrong. In fact, I made the wrong framing by not saying distinctly that it's an American perspective that I'm using here. But like I said, it's it's just doing the right thing. Like Forrest, Andrew, you guys do the right thing inherently, you know? Like it's just inherently leftism is just the right thing to do. And and that's why, I, I you, you know, for me, Doing the right thing, it's just the right thing to do. Like, I don't even know how else to say it. Having, you know, having all of us on here discuss it like this, it's the right thing to do. It, and it feels good. So you, you can know? come back for uh, Do the Right Thing? Fuck yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Hell yeah. Anytime, anytime with that one, because it's always white people who ask or don't know why the fuck he threw the fucking thing over the window. No, and no, everybody who, anyone who's black always already knows. Yeah, I never, I never questioned why. I never questioned why he threw the thing through the window. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, <laughs> oh, all right, guys, I do have to go so I can make a phone call before I go live. But hey, Forrest, Andrew, it's great talking to you, man. It's always good seeing you guys. And you know, yeah. Forrest, Forrest, you know, I will come through for you. Okay. Yeah. So right now, uh, right now, right now, um, you want to plug your show real quick before um your your show in uh in the city the that you're headlining. Oh yeah, so um. November 19th, I will be heading headlining at Wonderville in Brooklyn, in the heart of Bushwick, gentrification. Um, and uh, I will be playing uh, some some footwork, Juke Ghetto House. And uh, me and Nia, we're the host, co-host of Log Off already. Nia, Q said he's going to be in tonight, you know. And tonight we'll be having, I'll be showcasing El Blanco Nino for about an hour. And then we'll be watching Dr. Umar's wedding. And Forrest, you know, like I said, I got to get with you um, again but I want to do it with Nia so that we can conference so that you can start editing stuff for YouTube yeah. and grabbing clips for the Twitch show. And Andrew, I got to holler at you because I finished the storyboard and it never sent it to me, you know, <laughs> and uh, send me a post of your, of, of your event. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, Andrew, you could always uh, do a portrait of me and that could be the poster. Okay. For I don't know details. No, I'll give them to you. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Because because I was trying to get some like uh, Brooklyn cats out there to see you. No, no, I got you. I got you. Me and Nia will be there. Nia will absolutely be there. Forrest will be there. You know, Andrew. You, gonna, you know, Andrew got a family. I get it. <laughs> Go ahead, Andrew. I mean, Forrest. No, I said I'm gonna film it. Absolutely, <laughs> Forrest will be. Yes, we will all be there. Jamie will be there. Jake Flores will be there. My Morena should be there. She's just down the fucking street. She better be there. I'm gonna call her. You know. You know, it's gonna it's gonna be some folks there, and I, I'm I'm happy. You know, thanks for having us on, and uh, thank yeah, thank you for it.
And yeah. always good to see you, Undersecretary Pussy. You need to keep that shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, don't. don't we we'll get don't. t-shirts, man. It's gonna be. Yeah, do you gotta go too. Um. Yeah, I. I haven't eaten dinner yet, so I'm gonna do that before right, we start. Yeah. <laughs> nobody, nobody eats dinner before coming on the show. This is no, uh, it's like you gotta do it hungry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for having us. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> See you guys. Um. So yeah, I mean, talking through, I guess, a, a few things from this movie. Uh, yes. before before getting off. Um, yes. I, There's so a few I, things we do need to talk about. <laughs> So I, I I flagged the line down. Um, when they get flashlights and food, I suppose they're happy in their own way. I think that's really the central line of of people under the stairs because you know these systems perpetuate themselves, and uh, you know I I 100% realize that like to be able to overthrow a system, you need to have some kind of power. You need to have collective power, and in the case of of um what's what's I don't I don't remember her name in this. Is it April or is it it's something with a with an a anyway the sister but, yeah the 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 daughter oh, the daughter oh um i'm blanking on that too um but so when it, but the, the fact that she's kind of been made to be the weak link right like every single time there's one there's one sibling that they're trying to cultivate and then when that sibling doesn't come through for them they you know either cut the tongue out or cut the eyes out or you know do something that you know, and then throw them under the stairs. There's never, and she's never able to ha have that collective power. You know what I mean? Like Roach is never able to have that collective power. He's running through the walls. He can escape at any time. He definitely, like, you know, uh, tries to Alice. There, Alice, there yeah. I just um, got it myself. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know. So I, I think that there's a really strong message about you know uh, coming together, coming together to overthrow these systems, both in the neighborhood itself. Um, and in the house itself, because obviously, you know, it's kind of like a, a multi-layered system where everybody in the hood is being exploited by these landlords. Um, at the same time, you know, everybody under the stairs is quite literally taken out of the neighborhood and exploited in this underclass sense, um, where they're directly under the control and torture of, um, you know, so that, so it's like, uh, it's almost like a layered class system. Yeah, they're being forced also to like, uh, you know, into the whole rugged individualism. Um, yeah. You know, like, like they, they have to be out for themselves or else they're not going to eat. But then Fool somehow, you know, gets them all working together. Yeah. You know. And so, that, that leadership yeah. is something that's that that's needed when people, you know, realize that they need to all, number one, they need to make the connection, obviously, that it's the landlords that are stealing the kids. I mean, it seems like at the end, they've kind of realized every kid's pretty much gone missing and. <laughs> it's full that draws attention to that but but also um yeah so you know in both senses having the i really like having the uh the people under the stairs be let out and rip apart the mother at the end yes i'd like that as a as an ending to it and then i also um i mean i like that everyone gathers around and it's kind of the opposite of this reactionary um it's almost like the opposite of the reactionary vigilanteism of uh of Nightmare on Elm Street, which is which is interesting for Wes Craven to take his most um, his most famous property and kind of invert it in that sense. Yeah, because that one's all around a lynching, and this is like you know about the people who would get lynched. The people that this, yeah, or that's all about a lynching in a suburban neighborhood where somebody has to be blamed for things turning into a nightmare. Yeah, and this is all about things where you know a place where things are constantly a nightmare because it's a everybody's living in poverty, and then. They have to at the end real like put it together that like oh it's the exploiters that are actually 
uh, at the landlords in a, in a very Maoist sense. It would have been really funny if they had gotten like a like a Mao picture at the end. <laughs> this movie, this movie made me want to embrace Maoism. Yes. Fuck, fuck the landlords. <laughs> just, just gonna blow them up and have their money come out of this chimney. <laughs> I also like the uh, knowing what we know about like Wells Fargo now, like stealing money from pretty much everybody that you know was was uh put their money in and trusted that Wells Fargo was gonna be their bank. I like that one of the money sacks has a big Wells Fargo logo on it. Oh, I missed that part. Oh, at, at the end. Nice. One of the <laughs> no, that's a good touch. Um, yeah. No, there's so many things and you know going on too. Like like um, uh, I mean, I, I think this movie might be a little long. Like like um, if they could have they could have trimmed it a little bit, and. and um, I don't know if, if if you could still actually trim it, but you know what I'm saying? Like, 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 I think that's the reason why the movie got like bad reviews at the time and it was memory holds because it does towards the end there feel a little long. Yeah. I know. Um, I, I definitely, I definitely agree. And then, you know, or maybe in the middle somewhere, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like, like he, he, well, he jumps out and then you have another 40 minutes of, you know, people coming back and then he's running back to the walls. I also think the fact that it's kind of all in one setting, it's almost like a play in the sense that it's all in, in the house. You know what I mean? Like the house really is the main character in, in this sense, because, you know, uh, uh, under the stairs, in the walls, like it's all in that one setting, but it also makes the movie feel longer, I think, because it's not like there, it's not like you ever get a, a break where it jumps to another location. You're kind yeah. of stuck within, within the walls of the house the entire movie, which I think is, is a success. I, I mean, they did go back to the ghetto a couple of times. The, yeah. um, uh, you know, you do have that, like it, it it, it's it's almost like it's too short, you know, because it starts in the ghetto and then, you know, they go into the house for a while and it seems like forever and they come out and then they're in the uh, the ghetto for like, you know, five seconds going, you know, with grandpa going, these coins will get you enough money to, you yeah. know, fix your, uh, for, to pay rent till to the year 2000. <laughs> Far off in the future. I mean, another, I like a line that he says where he goes, then they got their. He's talking about um, the family running the funeral home, the brother and sister, and which is its own kind of. I mean, you know, literally taking death as a way to drain people out of their money, like you know, as as the undertakers of a of a urban society. And then he says they got their fingers into real estate, started making a lot of money, taking over people's homes. The more money they got, the greedier they got. The greedier they got, the crazier they got. Which I think is a really is a great. Um, Reagan Reagan era <laughs> statement about um, money and power and how it really corrupts people to the point where I mean not that they weren't already probably fairly fucking corrupted and, and incestuous and everything else before that but the more I mean they seem to actually be like the more kids that they put under the stairs the crazier I'm assuming that they got the more houses they take over as these you know landlord parasites the um, <laughs> the more Absolutely. the more insane they get. And and yeah. the more they realize that they can get away with, and so yeah, I I, I like this movie a lot. Yeah, and you can also see why I was just like like no, we got to do this movie. <laughs> um, I mean yeah. it's it's interesting. I think I wish I wish he was here to, I wish I could like Facetime him right now. But I Jason Miles suggested that we did this right, like that he he was the one that um. I think I said it too. Him. I mean, like like we had. We had separate conversations. I wasn't in the Jason Miles conversation. There, there is though a uh, bonus episode to give them an argument where Jason Miles is like grilling me on this movie. Yeah, that's what I was. That's what. So he has he has a lot of theories about underclass, um, underclass black culture, and like 
movies that are kind of doing the uplifting thing that Cole was talking about, where the uplifting is kind of a, you know, we need to stick to ourselves as a culture. It's black people's fault right now. They can't, you know, get money to get like the movies in the eighties and nineties that kind of take that tack, including, I mean, by black directors, like taking that tack, whether it's Spike Lee kind of in, in a lot of cases, whether it's um, Tyler Perry, like all of these different, you know, their, their solutions to it are not leftist solutions. You know what I mean? Like it's an inherently capitalist solution. It's in some <laughs> cases like a, a, a black nationalist solution. And so he has a lot of thoughts on that. I know he's done no, like, black yeah. capitalist, I, I think is, is a better uh, description of some of it. Yeah, but, but I, mean, I think I think that's a little different than black nationalists because like well, um, I'm saying I'm saying black nationalists in the sense of like black nationalist groups who are definitely capitalists, but I think it is its own specific. Yeah, but like, I think I think there's a difference between say like Louis Farrakhan, um, who you know did have some clout, but I don't remember him getting movies made, uh, versus like you know Spike Lee or Bill Cosby, who was very like you know um, black capitalist, you know support yeah. black businesses. Well, I mean it's it's respectability politics but that's the same thing with like the million man march that um louis farrakhan ran in the nation of islam was like uh you know it, it's about um your own transgression oh i'm not saying there's an overlap uh, there isn't an overlap i'm just saying i think there's a difference between the two yeah no they're they're there but one of one of them is a one of them is a political movement an insurgent political movement and an insurgent religion religious movement with those undertones, the other one is naked capitalism in, in, in the same sense as the other, that other things are, I think. But like neoliberalism kind of has also like absorbed a lot of the whole black capitalism. Um, yeah. And, and I feel like this is why we need a black person on the panel, to just get, <laughs> you know, to, to, to kind of set us straight. Cause, cause uh, um, I, I mean, like, like, you know, um, I, I, I uh, mentioned earlier, I was like on this guy's um, uh, Twitter feed. Uh, who's like uh, this black gay guy obsessed with Hillary Clinton? And oh, is um, that the is that the one guy that? Oh fuck, is that the um, is that like the really really unhinged? It might not be the same. There's, there's Wonder King eighty two. Wait, what was what was the name of his thing? Uh, I, it's Black Professor at Wonder King eighty two. Yeah, I think I think that's who I'm. He's the guy that was driving around with the with the like anti Bernie. Um, they they were all the people that ended up making K Hive. And uh, I don't um, think he's gay hive though. I, if this is who I'm thinking about. No, I think you're thinking of that, that, that one dude who muted me because um, uh, I, I, I kind of, um, he basically owned himself and it was hilarious. Cause, cause uh, uh, I said something and then he replied and I'm like, no, yeah, I, I, you know, you're, you're right. And I like explained why he was right and how, what he just said reinforced everything I said and, and not support what he was initially saying. And then he muted me. Yeah, maybe. It's, yeah, it's, I guess it's not the same guy. Because there's the one guy that was that was driving around with a specific. Uh, they kept getting banned because he was like really fucking unhinged, and he was wishing death on Bernie Sanders. And I don't, uh, know. I don't think it's this guy. This guy's uh crazy in a different way. Um, uh, he he's like um, uh, tweeting about how like uh, uh, only black people uh, have racism against them. It's like no, I, I'm sorry. White people are the only group of people who don't have racism directed at them. Now, is racism yeah. against Native Americans and Black people the same? They're very similar, but I, I wouldn't necessarily say that they're the same. Yeah. Um, same thing with Asians, Latinos, whatever. But like, you know, it, it, it's 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 a lot. You know, it's a lot more complicated. And he's like trying to. He's like, no, it's just Black people. Yeah. And he's like um, going after like Eddie Goud. Or I'm saying his name right, Eddie. 
Eddie Guy, yeah, Junior. Yeah, G A U D E, right? Yeah, I think that's Scout. I think it's Scout. Who you know, like he didn't vote for Hillary Clinton in 2016. Like he's just like you know, vote for the down ticket races because that's what's important. But like, unless Hillary Clinton does something to earn your vote, leave it blank. Uh, you know, that was his that was his take. Is I mean, it the right I, I have to wonder how many of these kinds of accounts on Twitter are paid Democratic operatives. I don't, yeah, he's this dude's met Hillary Clinton. Yeah. So like, really, at, at some point, I think a lot of these are political activists that are on some kind of I mean, whether it's, you know, whether they're working for the Democratic Party itself, or whether they're working for uh, various think tanks, or no, you know, regardless of where their funding comes from, I have to wonder if like most of the most unhinged pro, like yeah, no like dad defiant or yeah, well he yeah. yeah he he very literally was, and he was also on the same one that uh, Ben Dixon was on, who like they were on the same payroll for something, which I I respect the fuck out of Ben Dixon. I don't think that necessarily yeah. it, I don't think it's necessarily a negative thing that you know. Um, if you if you don't change your message, but like when somebody's relentlessly pro Democratic Party, it, it starts making me wonder. Like, and it has no criticism for any establishment Democratic figure. Like, no, like, and I mean, like is- you can, you know, like, like I'll be completely honest. Um, uh, was it Christian Gellibrand, uh, the the New York senator? Yeah. Um, I, I actually have a great respect for her on her work on uh, sexual abuse in the military. Like, like she's doing some good stuff there, trying, trying to, um, you know, uh, shepherding through bills and stuff like that. Like, you know, I can fully admit that. Does that mean that I'm going to give her a pass on every other thing uh, that that she does and says because she's she's doing and uh, some terrible things at other times too? No, I, I'm, I'm still going to be critical of her, and, and even though I really do respect the fact that she's actually doing some good work, you know, she stands yeah. for something. Uh, yeah, and I think that's what the difference is. If you st- actually stand for something. Uh, or as opposed to just standing for something. Yeah. And, and, uh, and that's where kind of, I think sometimes the money comes in where it's like, you know, being paid by the democratic party to promote democratic candidates. I really, I really wish that all of that stuff had to be labeled. Like even, even if it's somebody that I like that I respect that's getting paid by a political group of some kind, like, I really wish you like almost like, I guess, NASCAR stickers, like, yeah, yeah the same thing with politicians too and how much money they take from corporate interests like i really wish you had to be able to see that and you Absolutely. can go to open secrets for and, and you can still agree with somebody who has like a you know one of those nascar stickers on them yeah um well, you know whether or not uh, you agree with everything you know you don't you know you can you can support with what they're standing for and still you know disagree with what you disagree on i mean the, the frustrating yeah. thing about how slow changes in, in military things like sexual assault in the military is that like whoever's in power has full control over the military. You know what I mean? Like the democratic party right now has full like control over the military. Like the fact that there still is sexual assault, and they're kind of having to push through bills and like, I, I don't know. It's, and it's, ice. I mean, that, that's the other thing that like really annoys me is that um, Joe Biden's in charge of ice. The first thing he did was put through a uh, deportation, uh, deportation moratorium, which is, you know, fine. Uh, you know, it's it's not anything. And then, you know, was, and then was deporting Haitians at the same time that he was. But no, no. Before uh, even before that, like 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 this is like his first week in office, and they were still yeah. deporting people. And the media was reporting on it, and Joe Biden wasn't doing a thing to stand up to them. And that's the thing. It's like like you know, like w- what are you doing here? Um, yeah. So, so, well, yeah. in his case, nothing. Yeah. 
and, and, um, and you know, and, and that's that's the problem is is like um that's why we need more movies like People Under the Stairs because you know what's going to happen, what's change is going to happen is when we go into the basement and tell the stair people that you know they. You know, which, which in our case might be like this, the Trump supporters or whatever, like, hey. Well, which ironically, the, you know, Republicans do more, I think, sometimes to uh, reach out to, um, <laughs> like, Republicans do more to reach out right now in, in in the sense of, like, false class warfare, right? Like, Marco Rubio, all of these different fucking fake populist, like, populist right Republican politicians. Um you know, want to want to take class issues and turn class values or working class values into like an aestheticization of conservative values, like as if they're interchangeable. But I don't see the Democratic Party ever trying to like. I mean, Bernie Sanders obviously sometimes, but like I don't really see that being pushed back against as an overall concept. Like, yeah. and, and I mean, uh, Ben Burgess just did the big debate with uh, Charlie Kirk, um, which I know you didn't watch. Uh, yeah, I did. I because I'm still on the. Panel. I've seen no. I've seen the clips um, he's posted, but I haven't. Yeah, no, no, it. it's it's definitely worth checking out because one the first thing he did was basically call out Charlie Kirk as a populist, and then um, uh, explained like like you know why aren't you for this? Why aren't you for that? If you're really a populist, yeah, and, and I think that's what actually well, it's the same thing that I mean I I don't I'm no Red Scare fan, but you know um, I remember I, I but yeah for when they did the Steve Bannon debate absolutely over and over again if you're a so-called populist, why don't you support Medicare for all? And you find out that he's kind of a Clintonite neo neoliberal and then culturally a fascist. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, but like that question, just that question. And I, I saw that one thing that, um, uh, Glenn Greenwald posted, who's now on, you know, working for uh rumble or whatever that Peter Thiel has put a bunch of money into Peter Thiel, like the, the, that guy. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just imagining Michael talking about that. <laughs> But no, so so Peter you know, Kale. Yeah. <laughs> so he but he's working for Rumble, which he's invested a bunch of money into. And then there there's this candidate that posted posted a video today where there was not a policy in the political advertisement, but he was like this right wing guy. And uh he was like, I don't think it's sexist to say that a family should survive on on one income. There's no policy in it. There's no this is how it happens. The only thing that he said is, well, you know, families can't survive on more than one income today. Um because of inflation and because of globalization, which like, you know, but, but once you start blaming inflation for it, the person's going to start cutting the social safety net. That's what. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's the problem is like, they're going to destroy what we have to, uh, and they're also going to lower taxes. And, and the yeah. thing is, it's like, like um, the, uh, the one thing I know about uh, modern monetary, monetary theory um, is that, you know, Raising taxes. Well, you, you couldn't. You couldn't bring this up when when Neil was on. She's like the. She's literally the most. Like, uh, I, 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 <laughs> MMT person that I that I know. Um, but raising taxes helps stop inflation. I mean, I I just I I also just think that, I should have brought that up. Yeah, come back. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't I don't want to talk about MMT without. Nia here because yeah I'm no I, I I just um I got that from the majority report uh Sam Cedar has interviews this one woman um Stephanie Kelton and, and like that is the one thing that I've gotten out of all of her interviews is that that you know raising taxes on the rich you know very specifically on the rich will uh you know slows inflation or stops inflation 
Well, the thing about, I mean, the thing about inflation is that it was used in the 70s and 80s as a way to gut the social safety net because, I mean, stagflation happened under Nixon and, um, and under Carter too, like that, that Mostly whole under period, Carter, but yes. like, but, well, it started under, under Nixon. Nixon was passing it like a fucking hot potato. He passed, he, it, inflation. Well, yeah, he under, also, he also overheated the economy too, Yeah, which kind of slowed he, the stagflation. So he, he was replaced by Ford. Ford, the economy tanked under Ford. And then, you know, Carter was supposed to fix the, like, was claiming that he knew how to fix the economy. The, the thing is, they didn't know at the time. Like, Rick Perlstein does, a, does an amazing job tracking this as, a, as, an, as an issue because what people vote on more than anything is, you know, economics. Like, am I better under this president or am I worse? Which is the, the stupid Reagan, um, are you better than you were? Like, are, are you, is your life better than it was four years ago? Which obviously Reagan took that and then absolutely gutted the social safety net past what any other previous president had done interestingly nixon didn't while overheating the economy too like like yeah forget like like that's the two things so so uh, it's on the surface that looks like it's everything's functioning fine but underneath it he's destroying all the infrastructure to it and and whatnot you you know why you know why uh nixon didn't didn't gut the social safety net as much as someone like reagan would have like didn't have fiscal incredibly fiscal conservative economic policy um, you know, at, like before being removed, is that Eisenhower um, decided to to gut the social safety net in in 1960 when the reset when the recession happened, like the recession of '58 or whatever, and he realized that people don't like austerity. People don't like public austerity. People, you know what I mean? Yeah. Nixon was absolutely terrified. To, Nixon was culturally incredibly conservative. He was also fiscally conservative, but not in the sense that like someone like you know Reagan was, because Nixon was terrified. He was like, voters don't like. Nixon's whole thing was like, why, like, what can I do to get reelected? That's the only thing. He yeah. Really, yeah. And, and Nixon also understood the Santa Claus theory, which yeah. uh, I don't know if you know that, what that, that is. Um, no, I don't. I don't. It, it's basically like um, it's this just jujitsu trick of because uh, like the Democrats are, you know, policies are going to give people stuff. You know, you know, it's just that's what it is. Incredibly, um, incredibly mean. I mean, I'm, I'm like bottom lining it, you know, uh, yeah. you know, so so much here, you know, because because there was so much nuance. But I'm talking like you know, 1960s Democrats too, like you know, New Deal, um, uh, whatever FDR's, uh, whatever LBJ's program was, the um, Great Society. Yeah, Great Society. All, all that kind of stuff was kind of a uh, you know a gift to people. Was they were Santa Claus, and the thing is, the Republicans were against the gifts to people. So what they had to do was to flip the script and make it look like the, um, uh, you know, who, you know, who, who's, who, who the Santa Claus is, who's well, giving you something. What, yeah, that's what he, that's one of the lessons they took away from Eisenhower. Um, so Eisenhower was not necessarily a fiscally conservative the entire time. He streamlined a lot of the New Deal programs, but and, and um, I think I just badly explained the whole Santa Claus theory. But the Santa Claus theory was something big amongst conservatives in the seventies. Yeah, well, so the reason that he was terrified of that kind of fiscal policy and he was terrified of being seen as someone that wasn't, you know, giving um, people that were struggling more things, although he did, I mean, you know, he did do a lot to gut the labor movement every every fucking way he could. But the reason that he didn't, he wanted to appear like he wasn't like that is that Eisenhower first had streamlined New Deal programs, but also kind of expanded some of it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, seemed to be a, a Rooseveltian Republican in the sense of, you know, continuing the, the New Deal because that was kind of the consensus was, the, was that that was working. And towards the end of Eisenhower's president, the economy, or the as the end of Eisenhower's presidency, the economy kind of tanked. And there were people whispering to Eisenhower because Eisenhower inherently 
didn't have a uh, economic philosophy either. There were people whispering about fiscal conservatism. There's people whispering about like fiscal liberalism. And Eisenhower took the conservative track um, right before leaving the presidency. And Nixon always believed that he lost. A big reason that he lost, I mean, on top of like the TV debates, was that um, it seemed like when Eisenhower had uh, like jumped on austerity and didn't seem like Santa Claus, didn't seem like he was going to give working people anything, he was like, that's unpopular. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then uh, 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 Kennedy overheated the economy and dropped the uh, the top tax rate, uh, which which kind of gave a small you know that does give a small bump in the economy, and that was another lesson learned by Republicans. Yeah, so they're always citing like, oh well, look at look at uh, Kennedy, and you know, yeah, that's what Kennedy did do, but yeah, well, Kennedy's tax cuts were you know going to be offset by what became LBJ's great society. I don't think Kennedy was ever going to do anything to that level because LBJ realized that he could do things to a higher level than Kennedy did and, and outshine him in every possible way. Um, you know, because Kennedy only had three years in office. Um, whatever happened there <laughs> in the, in the, in the, in the Phil Leotardo uh, <laughs> way of saying it. Um, whatever happened there. Um, no, but like, so like, when Kennedy, when Kennedy passed away, um, the, the next step to that would have been, you know, trying to cut the unemployment rate, trying to, um, you know, help the poorest people. And then LBJ jumped on that side of it, which, of course, if it's not offset by an expanding the social safety net, um, <laughs> people don't like it. I mean, exactly. you, can only, you can only be fucking Reagan for so long before. And, and you, you got to put on that gimp suit if you're Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> As Reagan's Reagan's behind me right now in the gym suit, isn't he? Yes. One yes, more, I guess. One more thing I want to say about this movie: um, Bing Rames in this movie obviously gets killed by the Reagan character, who then puts on, I think he puts on the gym suit when he's chasing Bing Rames, right, with the shotgun, or right after. I, right around, yeah. So I, I was thinking about Pulp Fiction. Which well, is another... when this movie came out, everybody who saw Pulp Fiction was like, "Oh, he's people under the stairs." Yeah, but it, That's what it's, they really, call the it's really funny that Bing Rains has a terrible uh, has a terrible um, relationship with gimps. <laughs> well, he also has a terrible relationship with dogs. Um, yeah, he had uh, two. Um, oh, what breed was it? mastiffs? He had two mastiffs, and um, he went to film one of the Mission Impossible movies. And his friend, who was supposed to feed his dogs while he was out of town, you know, come take care of them, clean clean up their mess, whatever. Um, uh, goes over and has a heart attack and dies. And so his dogs who didn't have any food start eating him, which is a horrible story. Like, like that's just, just awful. Right. Was um, that before, was that before people under the stairs or was that? No, this is after, this is like mission impossible era. Oh, damn. Cause, cause this movie, he, they're feeding the, the body parts to the dog. I know. And then, and then, uh, cause I was thinking about this the entire time. Um, uh, and sadly, like Ving Rams had to put his dogs down because you can't have dogs that he, have tasted human flesh. Cause yeah, yeah I know. It, was, it was hard to watch this movie after uh getting Audrey so recently. And but but yeah, uh the rings the same she had, she the, the brown like the, the brown the tan and black like coloring. So it was hard to watch this movie after Oh yeah, they were so cruel to that dog. Although yeah. that was funny whenever he like kind of chokes the dog and he spits up the ring. <laughs> I also it's pretty funny when um Fool touches the door and starts getting shot. Uh, Ving Rhames, Leroy is like holding him and he's getting shot and then the dog's getting shot 
And so all three of them are getting shocked. They all hit the floor. And then Leroy turns around and says, I, I told you not to mess with me to the dog. <laughs> Despite the <laughs> fact that it was the door in full that, <laughs> that went to that happening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh. I, I, think that, I think that a central um, way that this movie kind of flips things on its head is that, you know, whether or not Leroy was going to rob the, the, the house with or without, you know, it, it being these evil landlords, whether or not it's the coins inside of the house. I mean, well, he it, knew it was the evil landlords, uh, yeah, but he didn't, so he, he didn't, he didn't know until he robbed the liquor store, which he, he didn't realize was, you know, connected until he robbed the liquor store. Yeah. But, but what I'm saying is, you know, instead of being um, transgressive in the sense of like, oh, well, we're going to rob people and then find out they have this thing and they're evil landlords, like, wow, like we just kind of fix that together or whether it's, you know, um, having somebody get robbed in this neighborhood and then later finding out whatever it is. Like, I, I do think that it, it, it means a lot that it's the evil landlords that are punishing fool that, that that's the reason that he's able to um, convince him to come along on that robbery. So it's like the, you know, the exploitation has led to um, the criminality, I guess, in, in this sense. And, and I mean, that's just how it is in the hood. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna speak for Cole, uh, you know, cause he's not here. But but uh, yeah, but I'm saying know. I'm saying there's a lot of the more Bill Cosby type personal responsibility, moral responsibility movies, right? Will place that that moral responsibility at the center of their characters, as in you know it, it's whether or not poverty has led to it, it's a failing on the part of the characters themselves that they're choosing to involve themselves in criminality. I don't feel like that's the case with this movie. I feel like robbing the people that directly exploited you, robbing the people that are evicting you, robbing the people who are clearly like they make it clear that they're evicting them because they want to gentrify and sell, you know, their real estate developers. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're making it clear that that's, they're not doing it out of, um, they're doing it out of necessity, but it's not, it doesn't feel like a moral failing. It doesn't feel like a transgression. Yeah. Well, well, but the thing is those Ving Rhames and the other guy, um, uh, the white guy that they were with, you know, um, another thing that I like, by the way, that it's not just like, oh, look at these black people. Right? Like they make sure that there's also like, yeah, a, you know, poverty, poverty in the sense is not a it's not a black thing. Poverty is not a, you know, it, it's a altogether it's a poverty thing. Like, it's yeah. And, and I mean, the, the, the thing is, though, is that, that, that they are criminals and then they both get killed. And then the one who isn't a criminal who's just going along to get basically get revenge and to, to uh, you know, basically to, to um, re redistribute wealth. Uh, yeah. basically <laughs> um is the one who survives so, yeah. so there is a little bit of uh morality if you want to read it in that way but oh i'm not, um, I'm not saying it's a movie devoid of that type of morality yeah. i'm just saying that it, it feels like a lot of movies that are placed in the hood and kind of involve violence are, are centered around that it's a moral failing on the part of these characters whether or not poverty yeah. is involved it doesn't excuse like it seems like you're kind of being having that piled onto you which also makes sense in the sense of, um, I mean, with gangster movies from the beginning of time, right? Like the Hayes Code, for 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 decades, you couldn't really make, you couldn't make movies that um, uh, glorified the, like criminality. So, yeah. but then uh, you look at like New Jack City that came out right around the same time as this movie. Uh, I think that's kind of an interesting comparison because uh, have you seen New Jack City? I've caught big chunks of it on cable. Oh, not, not a way that that movie is dense because it's like it's like a, a, a like a, all of the wire, like like yeah. that much of a story crammed yeah. into two hours. 
Um, so, so it is like every moment of that movie counts. And then you got Wesley Snipes just chewing the scenery, being just yeah. amazing. This, this, <laughs> that's, uh, they have Nino Brown, right? That's the, or is that the? You know what? Gonna... I hate to say this. That and Ricochet always I get confused, uh, and, and I like um, uh, New Jack City better. But like, like for because they both come out at the same time, you know, it's like yeah, that's that's Wesley Snipes as Nino Brown. Yes. Yeah. It's also been and, a minute uh, since I've seen the and movie. Mario Van Peebles, whose father just passed away. Yes, and I believe Mario. Uh, I think that was his first, uh, his directorial debut, if I remember correctly. Which he's working on the um, uh, the Wu Tang series. What do you uh, What do you think of the fact that um, there's a chance? I mean, I don't know if it's definitely going to happen, but uh, I think it's going to probably end up butchering this story. But Jordan Peele is looking to do a um, People Under the Stairs remake. Mm. Uh, this is um, one of the things with Jordan Peele is that uh, he tries to deal with race and being an artist mm -hmm. and kind of fails at that. And, and, and like uh, you can see that in, in um, the new Candyman and you can see it in the... Um, I haven't watched the new Candyman yet. Um, uh, you, but you can also I mean, I've watched, I've watched a, Get Out and I've watched Us. Twilight Zone episode. Where it kind of deals with it with this whole idea, you know, with the concept of being a creative person and also being a person of color, and mm -hmm. I, I think I, I think of, a lot of a lot of like 2000s, 2010s, 2020, uh, you know, a lot of black content, I guess, or content made by black creators kind of deals with that class level, right? Like a lot of stuff is made by and for the black PNC or the black ruling class and looks at things from that perspective um but but like that's the perspective he sees from so i don't know yeah. if it's going to work because like um uh you, you know i hate to say it's like like i'd rather somebody from the ghetto actually make this you know like um uh the, the, that remake of fresh princess coming out and I, I didn't know there was a remake of Fresh. yeah princess. they're doing a dark remake oh of, yeah i didn't know that I've, yeah I've, no, they I did that the, the parody trailer, and that yeah, was so I've, good. Yeah, I've seen I've seen the parody trailer. Okay, yeah, I didn't know that they were turning that into like an actual. I thought that that was just a, a no, video. no. That that was that was supposed to be like a one and done kind of thing, and then Will Smith is like, "That's really good. Let's do that for real." <laughs> so they're making it, and um, uh, it, it's going to be really exciting to uh, actually see that. But um, I, I don't think Jordan Peele's necessarily the, like like if he wants to produce it, that's one thing. Like he hires like you know people who can write it. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. like, like as somebody who who ha, uh, has the money and 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 getting the the talent in there that that uh, might have you know like that Fresh Prince um, uh, remake. You know they got the talent, but but you know they don't necessarily have the backing. Uh, you know of the system. You know yeah. being able to find those voices. Uh, I don't think he's the person to do it. But like I would like to see somebody who who actually you know has lived in the poverty and, and has, has been evicted and whatnot uh write that movie as opposed well, to mean, Jordan it's also interesting that you know putting this movie in terms of like a movie that inspired get out right like as, as a movie that you know you're looking at black horror as a genre that really hasn't been that explored i mean as much as or, or when it has been it's like you know george romero who very much not a, a black person, an old an old white guy, or you know, I mean, Wes Craven, same thing. Like, um, 
you know, so having black horror directors, I think, I mean, there are black, like, exploitation. Yeah, and, like James Bond the third. Yeah. I don't know if you heard about this dude. Um, um, he did, he did one movie. Um, uh, he did one horror movie that was like all black produced. Um, it was like a vampire film. Got really good reviews at the time. And then um, he was only getting like sequels to like other horror movies. And he's like, wait, I should be doing, you know, tentpole films, not like sequels to some white person's uh, vision. Yeah. Well, there's also like Blackula. You know yes. what I mean? Like that kind of exploitation. So I'm not saying that, you know, it's, it was this movie and then get out. And those are like the, you know, yeah, that's it. Yeah. But it is, I mean, it is that Jordan Peele says he was inspired to start being a horror director or to direct that movie and then, you know, direct, um, other black horror movies because he felt like there was an absence of that. So it is interesting. I think that this is the movie. Like this, this, this movie makes sense because I think that where class, where class and race kind of intersect, um, Get Out kind of touches that in the sense of like you know people kind of just getting snatched out of the hood specifically or snatched out of. I mean even just even colleges, but like it's it's people that aren't necessarily going to get missed. You know what I mean? Like by the way, it's Death by Temptation is the movie I'm talking about. Uh, 1990 with James Bond the Third and Kadeem Hardison. Okay, um, so you so, know there so, you go. <laughs> so I'm saying, in a similar sense, I think having this movie kind of revolve around the fact that um, landlords were able to just kind of snatch, snatch kids out of the neighborhood. It's my privilege. Um, I can do that all I want. Please can't stop me. <laughs> the cops just come and they're like, "Wow, you have some nice furniture." Yes, you did, you did not get that furniture in the hood. So therefore. No. I believe that you didn't steal these kids. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it's it's a similar. I mean, I understand where that theme comes from. I don't necessarily think that you know, uh, Get Out doesn't handle class. Well, I'm, I'm not the person to definitely talk about this, but no, no, Get Out Get Out requires a whole different panel that we don't have yeah. right now. But so I, I I do find it interesting though that this this movie number one understands that poverty is racialized, but isn't just racialized. You know what I mean? Like people struggle of all, I mean, it's, it's a neighborhood that has a lot of people in it, which the only movie that I really, I mean, one movie that I think understands that point is uh, do the right thing. You know what I mean? Like understands that these, these are neighborhoods that are multi-layered and I don't agree with where they ended up with it, which is like, Oh, everyone's kind of racist to each other. And you know, we have to make sure that like the, 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 the layer, the message of it, I think yeah. this movie makes way more sense, which is a neighborhood of people living in poverty need to come together and, overthrow the people exploiting them and the people under the stairs the quite literal people in the underclass um in the sense need to rise up from the basement and be able to be led in the sense that liberates them i i don't think that this movie really touches on um economics in the way that you know my politics do first like necessarily like you don't see him you know redistributing uh, uh the, the wealth you don't see him like frank lucas giving out turkeys <laughs> or whatever like <laughs> um but you do see that you know you, you see that understanding that these like it's not going to be solved just by um a racialized thing it's not going to be solved by law enforcement it is going to be solved by people who are exploited coming together and quite literally ripping apart yeah the exploiters <laughs> and, and you need to you need to have the white people who who haven't seen sunlight in years with the, like the long fingernails and the body parts cut off, teaming <laughs> up with the black people from the hood to, to overthrow this, uh, you know, there, were, there, the were black, there were black and white people, I think, in that crowd too. It's like, yeah, in the crowd, yes, but, yeah. but the um, under the stairs was predominantly white. Yeah, 
So, so basically, you know how under the, the, is. the multicolor, you know, uh, rainbow coalition needs to join up with the the underclass of the the whites. You know <laughs> like what I heard though? Movie. They've started, they've started gentrifying the stairs. That's how far we've come into this economic system. <laughs> they started adding, they started adding places that sell espresso under the stairs. Like, there's a bunch of Starbucks now. Like, I don't know. There's, there's Roach, Roach just got out of control. <laughs> all right because no, like if, if you read the credits too like there's the the king guy under the stairs or something like that the uh yeah. oh what is his i'm sorry i was like looking this up the other night um uh where is it oh stairmaster That's, yeah which is awesome like like well that was the guy that was that was talking in the um on the far side with the with the um with the accent in that video that we watched with the stairmaster. Yes, Jan Birch. Yeah. Um, He's the stairmaster. <laughs> just way cooler. I, like, they I, just, yeah, that's master. awesome. Man. If you do not master the stairs, you're the girly man. Yes. <laughs> we pump you up with our stairmaster. All right. So I'm tonight going to watch uh, 13 Fanboy. So I'm going to end the stream here so I can um, do that. Um, do you have any final thoughts? Oh, final thoughts. Um, yeah, definitely. If you, you know, this is definitely a movie you don't want to sleep on because this is just, it's a great film. So many layers, so much fun. Um, so you sleep on this film. That's when Freddy Krueger gets you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's all Wes Craven. Um, you know, and then like, don't, don't get shocked because the shocker will get you. Also Wes Craven, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Um, <laughs> uh, no, no, this is, this is just, it's a fun movie. It's way, you know, uh, Wes Craven films are, are, uh, if you're not into horror, Wes Craven is a lot more approachable because he does have layers to his films. And this is just and it's a great not example. quite so Christian about it. Like it's not quite so like the, the cabin of the stairs joke, like you transgress. Now we need to kill you. You know, yeah. we can't kill you if you don't transgress. It's far more, I mean, it's far more nuanced and, and far more horrific. I think in some senses, like the, the idea of, I mean, I don't think Nightmare on Elm Street is obviously a horrific mo movie in the sense of like the way that something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is. But I do think that the idea of sleeping is and, and being killed in your sleep is a lot more horrifying because it's literally like because I can just say, all right, well, I've watched these movies. I, I'm not going to like have sex with a bunch of people and I'm not going to go open uh, the door to this house. Like, so I'm kind of watching it through the eyes of someone else. The idea that like, well, you have to sleep at some point. Like, yeah there's not enough Adderall in the world and, 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 and there's something Hitchcockian about Wes Craven. Like, like, um, you know, it, it's, uh, there, there, there's a, um, like, because there's layers, it's more about the, the, the sense of dread versus like the, the, the absolute horror of, of being ripped apart. Like, do people get ripped yeah. apart in these movies? Absolutely. But like, that's not the end goal. Like, like it's the, it's the, it's the dread. It's the, the, the absolute horrificness of what's going on, you know. And I, think, is, I think a lot of I think a lot of directors that we've seen successfully come up with movies and, and, and during this watch through are the ones that understand that the most. Yes. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut it there. I really have to pee, so okay. I will. Um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna stream again tomorrow on Twitch. I think just Twitch. I think not YouTube. Um, talking through our our big uh, murder night extravaganza wrap up. So I'm just gonna say. Left is best. <laughs>